in both cases, you could really sense that the vendors were kind of partners. Biggest round we've ever seen in the core of the language industry. Our mission is to eliminate language as a barrier to success for all immigrants so that they can achieve their American dream. And welcome everyone to Slater Pod 97. Hi there, Esther. Hi, Florian. How are you? I'm good. Uh, busy day yesterday with SlaterCon Remote. And today on the pod, we have Luis Miguel, the CEO of California-based event page translations. Uh, Luis is a veteran, industry veteran of 25 years uh, and has really interesting story to tell. So stay tuned for that. Uh, today, we're going to give you a, quite a super short news segment here because, you know, short again, we had sweet, yeah. short and sweet. <laughs> we just had uh, SlaterCon Remote, so there wasn't too much time to dive into other news. But of course, there is uh, one breaking piece of news that, uh, you know, always happens when you record these things, but glad that uh, we, we could still uh, squeeze it in. So Smartling raised a monster, monster funding round, and uh, you'll tell us just a bit more about this, but of course, we're going to deep dive later. Uh, first, though, let me just give you the recap of uh, SlaterCon Remote. So Slater, how many how many people did we have there, roughly? We had more than 300 participants, which is a great turnout. That's a great turnout. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's always with the, the time zone. You can't accommodate everybody. And I think SmartCat did the kind of Asia inclusion things are where they, they had like two segments. I think uh, for us, that's a bit of a stretch. So we, we always focused on the European and, and, and the US times. And then it kind of gets late a little bit for the Europeans if you want to accommodate the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 300 people joined. Thank you so much. Uh, what I'm particularly proud of is uh, I actually went into the system and we facilitated uh, around 300 networking chats. And, you know, that amounts mm -hmm. to like 25, 30 hours of uh, discussion. So very good. <laughs> you did the maths. I did the math. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, that's 25 hours of kind of industry connection, talking that we facilitated through the platform. In addition, of course, to the, the, the content, right, which was also super interesting. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, great. I had a few chats. It was, it was great. I hit the extend button a couple of times because, uh, you know, we, we, we set it nice. at like five minutes and then it counts down. So. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. You connect with, connect with some people on LinkedIn after? Uh, yes, 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 yes. So each time I go there, I connect and then, uh, yeah, so it, it's good. It's good. You know, it's not obviously like standing at the bar after, you know, uh, uh, in-person conference, but uh, still, I like it. So what I, what I also like were yeah. these in, in, these client cases. I've got to say, this time, super interesting. So Intento uh, presented that together with Subway. And uh, and then Mauser Electronics presented together with Lingo24. And in both cases, you could really sense that the vendors were more than part, were more kind of partners. And I'm saying this, not, this is not just some lame trope. More than suppliers. It's really, yeah. you could sense like, okay, this is an extended part of our localization team. Like we need, this is, we need them. It's not just a supplier and we could switch them out tomorrow. It's like, you know, these are essential part of our operations here. And uh, I really like that. It was a very kind of collaborative uh, 
yeah, I guess positioning. So I think uh, it's a good format. I really like, I, I really, I agree. I mean, we've done it before, but I think, yeah, this time having two is, is really good. Yeah. I, I think we should do more of these. It's, it's, it's really cool. Mm. It's really cool. And, and Subway, it was just interesting, her case study where it's like, Hey, I get like half a million words, you know, basically put in my desk. Uh, hey, yeah. why, why don't you do this in like uh, two weeks? And she's like, okay, well, I guess, uh, let's talk to somebody who helps me with, with <laughs> MT. So that, that was interesting. So a big week for us, we got SlaterCon Remote, Esther, and we published our very latest 60-page monster report. But it's not about monsters. It's about <laughs> transcreation. Tell us more. Yeah, uh, we're very exciting to uh, release the trans what, transcreation and content origination report. I suppose transcreation is a shorthand. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty in depth looking at uh, both of those areas uh, with a focus on um, advertising as well, and um, how all of that happens uh, within within advertising. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, sixty pages, so pretty extensive, pretty in depth. Um, you know, we're looking at obviously as normal the role of language services in the space. Um, so particularly with with a focus on advertising and marketing, the different content types that um, language service providers. Um, and generally sort of transcreation providers um, are, are working with, um, talking about a, a key part, which I think is the resourcing, um, how to how to actually produce, um, you know, transcreation or, or do go through the process of transcreation. Um, uh, and that, I think, probably was one of my key takeaways from the report, as well as the use of, you know, copywriters um, and their kind of they are referred to by by many um people who are you know experienced and uh, knowledgeable uh in the industry as as copywriters or writers um sometimes these are translators but not necessarily typically always the, the translator profile that that we would think of typically um and they can come from an advertising background from a kind of more like an yeah writing uh background um rather than sort of what we would think of as language background um and yeah, technology as well, I think is pretty interesting to study that uh, in the context of transcreation and content origination. And, uh, you know, Anna, who joined us for, well, joined your segment for, for Slater Con Remote yesterday was talking about, uh, you know, the relative resistance uh, or the sort of selective application, I suppose, of technology um, within, within this space. Um, so we take a bit of a, a look at that, how technology can be applied, is applied um, and the areas where you know, it, it's not really possible to make use of, of the kind of traditional translation and language uh, technology. We also look at pricing, um, which I, I mean, I was pretty clueless about, I have to say before, mm. um, and something that really stood out to me, um, also from our talk with, with Rick um, Grant last week, um, was to do with, you know, the impact that actually five to 10 words can have if you're, if you're writing, you know, a slogan or, or something super um, important for, for a campaign does not make sense to charge by the word, you know, no, uh, not even a minimum. I mean, you wouldn't even, even a minimum fee, which obviously, you know, translation agencies, LSPs would apply when the word count is super low, does not account um, for the kind of creative uh, the creativity and the effort that goes into producing something um, impactful like a slogan or, yeah. Yeah, let me just pause it here for a second. I mean, I have a few friends that work in advertising, right? So, I mean, to them, if you mm. told them like, hey, you know, are you charging by the words for your copy? For I mean, they probably think you're out of your mm. mind. Like, of course, you're not charging by the word. I mean, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a super complex process. You need to just probably 
20 different things you throw at the wall and see what, you know, what eventually is going to end up. So I think it's just coming like from the language, mm -hmm. from our translation vantage point coming out of that, we're thinking that this could even be an option, but uh, no. No, it's uh, highly creative, of course. No. Well, yeah, but then I suppose it depends what you kind of count as advertising content, because I suppose there yeah, are some words. scenarios yeah, right. where, you know, you'd be working in marketing there and it is applied by the word. So there's a lot of different pricing models there that we that we explore in the report. Um, and also another fascinating topic is the kind of complexity of the ecosystem. So LSPs are not always going to be working directly with the end clients, although the person, people who have commissioned um, the actual, the advertising campaign, you know, there's the the role, the quite sort of serious uh, influential role of advertising agencies yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a guide to how to work with advertising agencies uh, for language service providers in the report as well. So definitely pick it up. And Anne also told me, and I, um, like that one of the focus was when, when she was writing the report, putting it together, we, we did a lot of interviews, mm. right? So it's very hard yeah. to, to put this in like quantitative terms and say like, okay, this is an XYZ mm. sized market. Uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, we did a lot of interviews with LSPs and, and, and nine. providers. She, in this she spoke to nine different LSPs. Yeah. Yeah. I think we spoke to even more, but like on the record that like we, we have, we have right, nine. Okay. And so that it gives you a very broad picture about like how uh yeah what what lsps can do in, in in this space so it's it's really meant to be a tool to help vendors drive additional revenues or enter this market and if they're already kind of tentatively mm -hmm. in like like scale up uh this is this is really the, the the point of this report again i always say that if i had these types of reports Back in my uh, LSP days, uh, my life would have been a little bit easier. I would have just said to the salespeople, hey, here's your report. Go read it. Come back <laughs> in a couple of days and, you know, hit the phones. Make or some the sales. Zooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's no segue because it's not selling. It's, uh, well, it's selling a stake in your company, I guess. But uh, Smartling. <laughs> Smartling. The segue is a company that really does use technology from an industry that doesn't really so much. That's right. No, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, anyway, go let's ahead. go to SmartLink. So what's what's going on with Smart? This is breaking news, by the way, everyone. I mean, uh, yeah. probably by the time you're listening to this, it's, it's, it's I mean, it, it has broken, broken. but it's, uh, mm. we're going to do a lot of uh, coverage on that initially, probably just a breaking news story. So tell us more, what's going on with SmartLink? Yeah, well, I think you... You said it mostly. The headline: um, Smartling has raised uh, a, a mega amount of money, a USD, one hundred and sixty million, so one hundred and sixty oh million dollars in funding. Um, yeah, really recently, uh, they just announced uh, on Thursday, we think this week, um, and coming from Battery Ventures. Um, so this is all uh, US based. Um, Biggest round we've ever seen um, in the core of the language industry. So congratulations to Smartling. And this is, you know, on the back of Smartling already being one of the best funded LSPs um, in the core translation and localization space. Um, so that brings the total amount that they've raised to around, if not exceeding, $220 million. That's a lot of change to play around with. So this is... It's a lot of ka-ching. Ching. So this is the, the the most recent one. I think it was 2014, right? I'm checking the notes here. Um, 
Yeah, um, so it predates their last funding round predates Slater, <laughs> predates which is Slater. why you know yeah. we have not had the pleasure of covering a funding round uh, from Smartling in in yeah previously. Uh, well, there we go. But yes, yeah, it's been, been a while in the making. This it, late yeah. stage round. I guess they probably will call it. I mean, a growth round, right? So this is like mm. it's it's kind of no longer VC stage. It's it's more growth. It's a, it's a business that's uh, you know that's that's doing well, that's growing, that that just needs that additional um, kind of boost. And we should probably ask him about a potential IPO, maybe in a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're raising that amount of money at some points, you probably want to, you know, go to the stock market. So Jack, well, Lee, congratulations. Uh, you know, maybe he joins us back for another episode of the pod at some point and tells us a bit more about where all that money is going to go. That's that's a big round. That's a big round for a tech-based company, and that's going to inject a fair amount of competition, additional competition into the space. I mean, now we can hire, you know, a few dozen more salespeople. You can really build, continue to build the uh, tech. So, yeah, wow. more than a few dozen for 160 mil, but yeah. <laughs> It's good. Uh, yeah, you're not going to hire 400 It's great to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great to see. I mean, really, it yeah, is. No, but you could. <laughs> you could. <laughs> well, let's ask him. What it's the great to are. see, though. It's really good to see in the industry. Um, yeah, it's so huge. much money. We like it. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We, we were just talking about uh, Verbit raising, I don't know what it was, like quarter million dollars. 250, uh, wasn't yeah, 250 it? 250 yeah. at like a $2 billion valuation. Here we have, you know, hot in the heels, like the language industry, uh, kind of core, like SmartLink, uh, Getting into the you know same same ballpark, so th- this is big. This again shows triple the, triple mid, triple digit millions or triple digit that? millions shows the conviction <laughs> sh- shows the conviction that that investors have in the longevity of this, and you know basically obviously we're totally past the whole NMT kind of disruptive narrative here, and so mm. yeah, great, all right. But now let's go to Luis Miguel from Avant Page for a great conversation. See you there. And welcome, everybody, and welcome back to Slater Pod. Joining us today is Luis Miguel, CEO of Avampage Translation. Hi, Luis. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Hi, Luis. Welcome. Hey, Esther. Great Thanks to see joining. you and Florian as well. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Hey, uh, Luis, where, where are you joining us from today? What, uh, what part of the U.S., what city? I am uh, coming to you from my home office in Davis, California. Davis is a very nice college town, about 60 miles to the northeast of San Francisco Bay Area. Northeast of San Francisco. Yeah, that's where we met last. That was in 2019, our penultimate Slater Con. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be back when uh, this is all over in 2035. No. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit of a lame joke to get this started. So, Luis, tell us a bit more about your background, uh, your route into the language industry. It's been a, uh, you know, a, a long, a long road. Uh, you've been in this industry for for quite a long time. But originally, you studied plant science and computer science at the university, right? So, how how come you ended up in language services? Absolutely. You know, uh, life takes us down very interesting roads, and I think what we need to do is just take them and go with the flow, make the best of it. Um, I actually started my first, uh, translation company back in 1990 with my wife at the time. Uh, and, uh, we started a company named Transcend here in Davis. 
and Transcend is still around. She's still running it. She's done a great job with it. And I then, she was an interpreter at the time. Hmm. And through her interpreting assignments, uh, we decided that it would be a great idea. Both her and I have had uh, the entrepreneurial bug from a very, very long time. And uh, business really was a, um, it's in my DNA. My, my family emigrated from Lebanon to Mexico back in the, about a hundred years ago, a little bit more oh, wow. than that. And they've been uh, in the business of business since. So I grew up uh, working at my first job was at one of my father's businesses. So from a very early on age, I had the entrepreneurial bug. I also had the um, very students, good boy bug of you know doing really well in, in school. You know when you're when you when you're good at that, you think okay, this is great. I I, I can shine in doing this. So I moved all that from high school through college through graduate school. And uh, that's how I came to Davis. When came from uh, Mexico to Colorado, and then Davis looked like a great agricultural school. And I came here back in 1989. Wow. And yeah, and I think uh, well, fast forward a number of years, but uh, it looks like you've just celebrated 25 years of service uh, with Avon Page. Uh, so congratulations on, on that particular milestone. But I mean, take us back to the beginning and tell us what's the origin story of Avon Page um, and, and then maybe some of the key milestones and challenges that you faced over the last 25 absolutely, years. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Avant Page came into existence in actually Halloween of 1996. So we just, uh, as you as you mentioned, we just uh, have uh, celebrated our 25th anniversary. And the way it started is I saw, I was working as a software engineer in a company called Sybase. I think it's still around, but uh, it's, it was very strong at the time working in database area and uh, I was disappointed I didn't really like being in the as a software engineer I had problems with my joints I had carpal tunnel syndrome so I decided to step back and go back to what I really loved my wife had transcend and I decided to leave the software industry and start a new business in this area the web was just starting to take off. And there was another trend that I recognized, which is that at the time, working with uh, double-byte languages like Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and right-to-left languages like Arabic and Farsi was really complex. There really was no good software to do desktop publishing, word processing very well with it. Given my technical background, I was able to really understand it and do a good job. So the first few services that I started on page doing was both website localization and uh, desktop publishing, these exotic languages. Well, that's um, very, very interesting. They came from the, the coding side and then you 
you transitioned into that, what seems like a, a well, back then it must've been a niche. I mean, website, anything in, in the mid nineties was, was a yes. niche. So, uh, just tell us a bit more about that. I mean, that, I'm, I'm really curious to know how, how was website localization in 1997 or eight? I mean, I first started playing around with Dreamweaver maybe in like 2004, but that sets when it was almost consumer grade already. Right. But absolutely it was 10 years before the main issue then first because i understood the technical issues so i was able to produce a website you know a page that displayed the, the different languages correctly as long of course at that time unicode you guys are familiar with unicode right this is the uh the way that almost every computer now represents every single language at the time, there were many different encodings for the different languages. And so you needed to make sure that you were working with coding for, let's say, Vietnamese or Chinese or Korean, that uh, your browsers at the time, Netscape was the, the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft Explorer was already, this was the time of the, the, the Netscape versus Microsoft in terms of the browser war was going on. So, uh, you know, the technical issues were much more uh, complicated, uh, and but I, I, I mastered those. That was not the problem. The issue really was that the market was very, very difficult to crack. Mm -hmm. There were not very many companies that or institutions that had the know-how and the foresight to be translating their websites. So. We did a few projects in the web space at that time, but the main area where we started really to get uh, going and, and grow was in the handling of the uh, the languages in both translation and desktop publishing. So web started as, as one of our focuses, but because of the marketplace, the difficulty at that time, we moved away from it gradually over time and started concentrating more in the translation and the desktop publishing area. So, so today, tell us about Avampage in a nutshell. Like, so web, you know, 25, 20 years ago, and then you transitioned to what you're now. So what, what's the company in a nutshell now? What are your key services, key clients, segments, industries? Uh, you know, just company in a nutshell. Absolutely. Well, Avampage, we are a mission-driven company. Our mission is to eliminate languages of barrier to success for all immigrants so that they can achieve their American dream. Very simple, right? Uh, but uh, everything that we do, the kind of market that we pursue, the kind of people that we, that we recruit, the growth strategy that we follow comes from that mission. Uh, we are based in Northern California, uh, our headquarters here in Davis. We have uh, a couple of uh, locations that are, uh, one is in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, a company in Mexico City hosts a, a, a good number of our project managers, desktop publishers, and proofers. They, uh, they're least employees for us over there. And we have a, we are a virtual here in the United States. So we have a, a workflow, workforce that is spread out. Our main markets are both healthcare, 
and state and local government here in the United States. Uh, why are those the markets? Because we believe, as you know, as part of our mission, that those are areas that provide very important services to the people that don't speak English very well here in the United States. Most of them tend to be recent immigrants. And me being an immigrant originally from Mexico, I came to the United States around 1980. Uh, I uh, uh, identified very much with the difficulties of immigrants. I saw that language as a barrier continues to be a, a very important a very important uh, determinant of success here. Well, my kids, when they were growing up, they were, key, they, were, they were young, had a lot of friends at school that were similar to them. They had uh, Mexican parents like, like me. And yet these other kids, they did not have very, you know, their parents didn't speak English very well. There's, their academic out, outcomes were dramatically different. So I gained an understanding and an empathy for their situation. And that's what uh, drives who we are, what we do, where we are. The people that we recruit, are uh, uh, the way we train them, the way we communicate internally, the market that we follow uh, is all centered around that, making sure that that mission is fulfilled and that the vision is um, realized. And, and you spoke about the the healthcare sector there, and I imagine that that touches on you know government, and then also the private sector, and maybe some of the other segments that you that you deal with also. What do you think are some of the key differences between servicing government or state um, clients versus the private sector? They're pretty big differences. Um, the procurement process is very very different, as you might imagine. Many times in the government area, they don't have much. The people that actually are providing the services are at the mercy of the people that are actually contracting, you know, in, in the procurement area. Many times the, uh, the government side has very rigid rules as to how they're going to be selecting uh, a provider. And your performance has not much impact on that because the contract just ran for, let's say, two years, and uh, we have to go back to bid. And depending on the way they classify the, the contract, it can be one that's completely based on uh, cost. Uh, so th that's one important difference. Another important difference tends to be also how savvy, you know, how far the localization maturity metrics, the people that are procuring your services are. Uh, government tends to be much more, uh, people sort of, uh, there's a lot more rotation, let's put it that way. And you never know the person, the, the people that, that normally are in charge of the translations or interpreting or the services are not always very savvy about what they're doing. In the private sector in healthcare with the, with the sophisticated health plans that we work with, hospitals and so on, the people in charge tend to be much savvier. They understand they need to invest. They, they know about translation memories. They know about glossaries. They know all of these things that are 
at you know at a basic level for us, but for somebody who's not privy to this industry, they've never done it. They don't really understand how those things work and how how important they are. So when you work for the government and and also for the big healthcare providers, I think the U.S. kind of language access regulation slash framework plays plays a big role. And yes. um, from what we're seeing here, and I'm you know we're both of us are based here in Europe, and it's sometimes kind of hard to crack the uh, the, the U.S. regulatory uh, environment. But from what we're seeing, it seems with the new Biden administration, it's kind of come back a little bit more into focus or definitely hasn't disappeared. I mean, hasn't, um, hasn't, it has gained an importance, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So would you agree that there is kind of a renewed push to, uh, for language access? And I mean, are you seeing kind of an increase in demand, uh, since the new administration, uh, you know, has been in power last year or this year? Uh, last year. You know, that's a very interesting, uh, question. Um, to be honest with you, the impact on us in particular because of our market hasn't been that huge. The actual loss that, because I mean, you're correct to point something out, you know, we work in regulated industry, you know, both the, the, the healthcare sector and the government sector that we serve have regulations that obligate them to reach out, right? Language access. To people that don't speak English well. But those laws that in particular are affecting us have been, yeah, at the federal level, they come from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Oh, okay. There really has been no new regulation, I'm sorry, no new laws enacted in that area. There's been regulations that are, that are modified frequently, but uh, the laws have not changed. Uh, but a great amount of the work that we do comes from state regulation and state laws. Those have not been affected by the change of government because we are a, uh, the the states that we tend to work in primarily are governed by Democrats in the west coast of the United States, and so they have not been affected by the change of administrations in Washington. Uh, the regulations have continued to get uh, more stringent. So for us, that definitely has been a growth area. And, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about COVID. Um, the, the pandemic has opened up a great amount of work opportunity for companies that are serving immigrants because of the emergency there's been a whole lot of reaching out to people in electronic media, right? Which is where a lot of our companies are, you know, the services that we provide are, are being consumed, both interpreting and translation. On the interpreting side, do you do any on-site or, and, and how has that been impacted? Like long-term, I guess initially, if you, if you do it, it Probably it was almost a full stop, but then it came back quite quickly. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? Uh, we actually, uh, interpreting is new for us. We entered the market just a couple of years ago. So as the pandemic struck, we were entering the market. So we decided, of course, at that time that we did not want to go into the in-person uh, interpreting because, of course, that collapsed. 
So we are uh, strongly, and we're ramping up very strongly in the virtual interpreting area, both the over the phone and uh, video. Uh, and that we've seen quite a bit of uh, increase, but you know, we're, we're, we're coming out from you know, a couple of years ago, we were almost at zero. So that, that is a new market for us that we're exploring and we're really enjoying. It complements the services that we provide to our clients. So it's a very natural extension for us. It's so interesting that you say that, that it's a natural extension. I mean, what's the natural part? Is it you're talking to the same decision makers? Is it the scheduling component of it? Is just a general understanding of the problem? Where do you, or is it all of the above or something else? Uh, a whole lot of things. And you, you mentioned some of the, some of, some of the, um, issues. It's the same, uh, organizations that are serving the same people that we have been serving through translation. So a health plan has, uh, let's say to provide, uh, services for a population that speaks, uh, Chinese and Spanish, right? Well, for them, they have to provide both uh, in written uh, written uh, communications as well as when they go and there's interactions with their with their physicians and with the organization per se. So, the uh, they may not be the exact same people that are in charge of the translation and interpreting, but it's very much the same population. It's very similar regulations that apply to both of them. And the same kind of language mix mm-hmm. that comes. So, and many times you see that in the procurement, the uh, contracts are mixed both uh, services. Got it. And I mean, completely different topic, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, let's talk a little bit about the the leadership team um, at Avant Page and your approach as well to retaining and developing talent. I mean, you've been in business now for, for 25 years. I imagine uh, you know, you've got there with the help of a fair number of leaders other than just yourself as well. Um, and also, you know, I think at the moment in particular, we're hearing stories about how challenging it can be to hire uh, really top talent in the U.S. So, I mean, what's your stance on on all of that, the kind of leadership and, and hiring and retention of employees? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question, Esther, because I think that really gets to a lot of what I was saying before, that it, it really comes from my mission. Uh, I've selected mm-hmm. people that really share that mission and the vision that the company has. Um, the, in our case, we are a smallish company uh, and, and uh, we have big ambitions and we have big big expectations but uh, we don't we haven't been very successful recruiting people that have uh, come from with a lot of experience from other translation companies we've really had mm-hmm. a lot of success developing our own people people that start you know all my leadership team, I have four people in my leadership team besides me. I have Jorge Villafuerte, he's the director of technology. Vera Hoydunk, who is the director of operations. Uh, Joanna Osman, who's in charge of the marketing and business development area. And Nikki Speed James, who is in charge of people operations and finance. 
they all started from a project manager role or an IT role in the case of Jorge. And over the years, they've grown in the company. And uh, about three years ago, four years ago, uh, I understood that for some, for a company to really be able to grow and develop, and for me not to be able to have to be doing everything, I need to have people that I really trusted that were better than me in their area, let's put it that way, because that really is true. Even though I've been working in every single area of the company over the years, which I think is a big advantage, having people that uh, are been coming through the company, know who we are, understand that uh, the best interest of the company is what they're about, is being really critical. And we have a great group that uh, we get together day in and day out. And if you ask me a lot of the details about what's going on in some areas, I might not know them because I defer to them. Uh, we use the philosophy of Pat Lynchoni. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a no. great uh, organization, Pat Lynchoni, here in, in uh, the U.S. He's a great uh, organizational psychology uh, guy. And he's, you know, I, I was inspired by him to set up this leadership team and to cultivate him. And luckily, they decided to stick around. I hope they decide to stick around for a little bit longer and uh, to grow grow together with us. Yeah, so there's PMs, huh? PMs are great. Yeah. Uh, they can, you know, we have uh, some uh, PMs in our organization as well. Esther, were you a project manager too? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a proud former there project manager, but it, it never it never leaves <laughs> you. This is what I have. <laughs> It never leaves you at all. I think was was it Jorge yes. you mentioned was um, yes. the tech yes. the tech guy. So, um, in terms of what he's developed and what he's looked uh, what he's looking after, um, it seems like you built out quite um, an extensive proprietary technology yes. stack. Um, so you've got I think Avant Data, Avant Flow, and Avant Memory. Um, that you've developed presumably in-house um, from your side or maybe coupled with Jorge, what, what is it that's influencing this buy versus build decision and to bring some of these, the development in-house? Great there? question. And, you know, for a small company like us, I think that really is very critical. I think one of the most important um, things that I do as a CEO is to look around, see what's out there. You know, what is, uh, for example, right now there's a lot of, uh, of activity on crypto, right? How is that, uh, how is that affecting us? Does it, so I am always looking around, see what's going on. I, I go to conferences like SlaterCon and uh, I listen to podcasts and so on. And so look at what's, what's happening in a certain area. And then I, I decide, is this really of interest to the company or not? If it's of interest, if it's not, then, you know, I just watch it. Maybe it's an interesting thing to see. But if it's of interest, then I decide, okay, is this something that uh, we can develop? Does it make sense for us to develop it? Or is it better for us to buy or lease 
something that's already out there. For example, with uh, machine translation, uh, the the you know is it is it something that impacts us? Of course it is, right? It's impacting every single company uh, that's out there. But for us, given our market, it's not critical because both the government mm -hmm. and the healthcare industry right now here in the United States with the regulations that we have have a number of years ago when machine translation was very, very poor, set some rules that says you can't use machine translation. So that's still in effect, you know, things have not changed very much there. So machine translation, even though we're watching it, we decided it's not a critical uh, technology for us right now, right? But on the other hand, translation memory, we decided it is a very critical technology for us. Then we see what is available out there. And we see that there's a great systems available that we can use and they have great interfaces. So does it make sense for us to develop our own uh, machine memory? I mean, translation memory? We decided, no, let's lease one of the existing or maybe play with several of them. So what we decided to do is to create a layer you know, we really saw that data is becoming hugely important. So the first thing that we decided to do is to create Avant Data, a huge repository of information. So we start capturing all the data that we produce in all the systems that we have. We had all of these disparate systems, right? And we decided the first thing, let's capture this data. We'll know what to do with it later. Then we started looking at it, reporting to the leadership team through dashboards. And once we started looking at all that data that was coming from the different systems in a more unified sense, we said, okay, let's start developing some new um, capabilities that put together these systems that we're using and this data that we have. So you mentioned Avant Data is the core, but uh, we now have something called Avant Portal. Avant Portal puts together all of the systems, the disparate systems that we have in a single login so that our clients are able to log into the portal and then automatically they're able to see all of their interpreting assignments. They're able to see all of their translation assignments. They're able to communicate with a project manager. So we decided to be more of a unifier of all the systems, provide a unified platform for our clients. And at the same time, to be able to make it very, very open so that uh, as technologies change on, on the outside, we can connect to the different kinds of websites that are out there, to different kinds of CRMs that are out there, to the accounting softwares that are out there and so on. So we decided that to be the glue and provide some additional capabilities and make it really easy and comprehensive for our clients to be able to do the work that they need to do day in and day out. Makes sense. Hey, so in terms of scaling the business and growing uh, future plans for growth, do you, what's your approach or attitude to things uh, like M&A uh, or are you sort of prioritizing organic growth at, at this phase? You know, that's a really, really good question. 
Florian well knows there's a huge amount of uh, M&A activity going on right now. Both smaller, you know, larger companies that are absorbing smaller companies in the industry, outside capital coming in, and, you know, companies that want to just buy, others that just want to absorb. Uh, because of our mission, uh, I have not wanted to relinquish control of the company so far because uh, I believe that the commitment to eliminate language as a barrier for immigrants would be lost if it would become part of a bigger corporate entity. And uh, so that is a decision that I made that is really comes from our mission. On the other hand, another thing that I believe to be really, really important is I'm from Mexico. And the decision that I made to go and work with this other company in Mexico had also to do with the fact that I wanted to develop this industry and this talent base in Mexico, where I come from, because uh, I have a commitment to doing some social good for the people there. I've seen in the 40 years that I've been here in the United States, I've seen a huge uh, improvement in the educational level and the achievement level of a lot of the people there. And it takes a while for a new area to take over. As you, well, you guys well know, Argentina seems to be the big Latin America hub for translation. But uh, I believe there's also a huge amount of talent and potential in a place like Mexico. So that's where a lot of... Uh, why I've been reluctant to go the M&A route for us. And uh, another thing is, as you said, as you noticed, you know, I've been in the business for 25 years. Um, the fastest way to get there, in my opinion, is slowly. So I've been building up the technology over the last five years. Right now we're at the point where we at big have this great interface for our clients. We're actually starting to develop some very exciting new technologies in the interpreting area. And slowly but surely, I think we're building it more and more and more. And uh, we'll get to the point where I think uh, we can then decide at some point, once we're stronger, if there is a place for us to become part of a bigger organization or start buying other companies for now. The best thing for Avantage, we've decided to continue to grow organically. And I also, money has never been a big motivator for me. It, it just has not been. My uh, experience and philosophy is if you do a great work, money will come. That's, I've been very fortunate that has happened. And, um, so when, when people come and, and want to, to buy me out uh, and, and offer me money at this point, I tell them, I'm sorry, just uh, at this point, that's not what we're after. We're after there's something that is greater than that, and that's our mission. Now, when you, when you say, oh, when you say, you've been in business for 25 years, and I've seen, I mean, I've been in this business now for what, like fifth, roughly 15 years, where would you see how how bullish or optimistic do you feel about the industry let's say in the next three to five years 
in the framework of the past 25 years, not just let's look at in the future, but like at right. what point of excitement right. are you at? Is it, is it the late nineties and you know, the web explodes? Is it like, you know, I don't know, some type of crisis and the great recession, like, yeah. How, how do you feel general, like in, in the arc of the 25 years? Lorian, I think as you've seen, I'm an optimist. Uh, I really think that uh, we are starting out uh, in this industry. Uh, there's a huge way to, to go. Uh, I think that the changes that we've seen in the, in, in, in the technology, the changes that we've seen in the marketplace favor us. Uh, uh, the meat and potatoes of our company continues to, to be you know, what project managers do day in and day out. I don't see that changing for the foreseeable future because I see it as being a service industry. The way we procure the actual language uh, translation and interpretation to the clients, that has been changing, right? You know, it, it, it used to be that there were no translation memories. It was only pure, you know, translators and interpreters on the other side. Now we have some mediation of the systems. In some cases, you're going to have great quality with just machine translation. But ultimately, our clientele, our client base, the people that we're working with, have a need for some service. So I see the source of where the language uh, comes as one thing that has changed a lot. But the service that we provide to our client base you know, the, the, the basic things we have to have people that are selling, we need to have a marketing department. We need to have an accounting department. I see that has been pretty constant. I don't mm. think that in essence is going to change. What I see changing is in the area of technology, which is where we're growing as, as, as we just talked about. And I believe we're being responsive. Uh, we may not be the pioneers. We're not the first ones to do what we're doing, but I think that if we do it well and we do it consistently, there's some market for it. So I see it uh, growing steadily. You know, I've been, I'm in my sixties. Uh, I'm in no hurry to retire. I love this industry. Uh, you know, you guys have been around for a while. I think uh, Renato Beninato says that this is one of the great things about this is that once you, you start working here, people just love it and stay here. And, you know, it's a small world. I mean, you remember from seeing me a few years ago in State of Art, right? Even though there's thousands and thousands of companies all over the world, in a sense, we're really small. Yeah, in a sense, we're small, but I do, uh, I do uncover new people and companies every day. And that, that's what yeah. keeps me engaged. But it's, uh, it's. It keeps us, yeah, it keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? When we find uh, new, new niches, new yeah. things, new developments. And, and I think that's the vibrancy of the industry that I think keeps us engaged. You know, there's always new things. I've been in the industry for 25 plus years, but there's something new that comes along today, you know, next month, next year. And I love that. Let's end on the love that note. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Luis. It was great having you on the podcast. Thank you, Esther. Thank you, Florian. It's wonderful to be with you.